I'm about to start a new sermon series for the next eight weeks. Uh, today will be the introduction on the series, but it's all about proving that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. And you know, the world really doesn't understand this. You'll go out to dinner and you'll be with well-meaning people who will say, well, Jesus is a great prophet. He did a lot of good things. Uh, but you have to intercede. No, he was the Son of God. He was God in every way. And that's what this series is about, proving, you see, proving that Jesus is God. And, and in John, the Gospel of John, where this comes out of, we're going to see the seven signs of the divinity of Christ, the seven signs. Uh, and this becomes important. Uh, and so this is not just for you today. It's for your family who may not be here. It's for your friends or your country club or your Bible study groups who are not here. You need to be inspired to send this message, to be prepared. And that's what I believe God is, is telling us today, to be prepared to spread this message. Uh, and so this series is aimed at exploring the seven divine signs contained in the Gospel of John that prove that Jesus is the Son of God. You know, the Gospel of John was written somewhere around the year 80 AD. And it was written because there were already uh, false doctrine coming into the Christian church. People were saying that Jesus wasn't God himself. Uh, and so under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uh, John wrote the Gospel of John. And it's almost like a legal brief when you see these seven signs presented in such a powerful way. Uh, and so this study is as critical uh, in the first century as it is today. Uh, because it inspires us to understand, yes, God made it very clear, Jesus is God. You need to convey this to a lost world. Now, signs are important in the Bible. Uh, just like signs are important in your daily life, signs are more important, really, in the Bible because they set apart uh, divine truths, theological truths, spiritual truths. God gives us these signs in order to inspire us and in order to show us the way. It becomes an essential part of our walk with Christ. Now, the intent of this series is to help you find God's truth by exploring deeply these signs. Uh, and so you need to understand, first of all, what is the purpose of signs? Why does God give us signs in the Bible? Well, first of all, the signs uh, in the Old Testament are often involved with God performing some supernatural event. A great many of these are found with Moses in the book of Exodus, where God performed many signs as he took uh, the Hebrew people out of Egypt. As you know, that the plagues on Egypt constitute these first signs. And these plagues, every one of them, one after the other, after the other was a sign that God was performing his handiwork to release his people from captivity. Now, it would be a mistake, you see, to conclude uh, that all the signs in the Old Testament were miraculous. Uh, some of them were mundane. Uh, for example, uh, there's an example in the uh, Isaiah where the prophet Isaiah was told by God to walk naked and barefoot for three years. Naked and barefoot for three years as a sign of judgment against the nations of Egypt and Ethiopia. When I talked to my son about that, he said, gee, couldn't there have been an easier way? 
But you see, that's how the signs are. They are what they are. God was delivering an important message. For three years, you do it. And what I love about Isaiah, they bow in submission. That's what you want me to do, Lord. I will do it. Uh, that's found in Isaiah 20, verse 3. Uh, look also at Ezekiel chapter 4, verse 1. It'll be on the board. Uh, here's another example of a sign. Now, son of man, take a block of clay, put it in front of you, and draw the city of Jerusalem on it. Then lay siege to it, erect siege works against it, build a ramp up to it, set up camps against it, and put battering rams around it. Then take an iron pan, place it as an iron wall between you and the city, and turn your face toward it. It will be under siege, and you shall besiege it. This will be a sign to the people of Israel. Whoa! This is pretty complicated. What is he doing? He's telling them to be prepared. They're going to go into captivity, into Babylon, and they're going to be there a long time. He, God did this because clearly there were false prophets who were saying that they would only be in captivity a short time. God was demonstrated, no, no, that's false. So what you see is God uses signs somewhat, sometimes even more powerfully than words. The signs really resonate about the work of God and what he wants to do. God was delivering a heavy message to the Jews that they were going to suffer judgment because they had not been obedient. They had not followed God. They had strayed from his word. Uh, and so Ezekiel uh, prepares uh, to tell the people that they are going to be in Babylon a long time. And in fact, they would because they would be taken captive in 586 B.C., and they would be there for well over 150 years in captivity. Uh, and so all of this was conveyed through a sign. Uh, now, one thing is evident from all the signs in the Old Testament. Uh, it all shows that the messenger of God is divinely appointed. That's why signs are given, because the people need to understand this man speaks uh, with my imprimatur. Uh, and so the signs in Exodus confirmed the authenticity of Moses as God's servant and messenger. Uh, in the prophetic period, God used signs to authenticate his prophets as the human oracles of his message. Uh, as we see that, uh, what about Elijah going and saying that there'll be no rain for three years? That'll be the sign of judgment. No rain, and the heavens are shut up, and there is no rain and drought takes place. All of that was assigned by God. But elevating and affirming the prophet, this is my man. He speaks with my authority. Now, the uniqueness of the Gospel of John can be seen in what it contains and what it leaves out. You know, the Gospel of John was the last one of the Gospels written. The Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, were all written by about the year 55 A.D., and they basically contain the nativity story, the temptation of Christ by Satan, the extensive teaching on the kingdom of God, the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Sermon, and a detailed discourse on the Lord's Supper. Well, Gospel of John doesn't do that. The Gospel of John effectively contains what I would call deep theological treatments. Uh, for example, the John, Gospel of John contains the four, the seven I am statements by Jesus, effectively all saying, I am God in every way. 
Uh, it also has the farewell discourse. Uh, and then it has the seven signs of Christ, the seven signs of Christ. They play a prominent role in the Gospel of John. Uh, and these signs appear in the first half of the Gospel of John. And these seven signs are as follows. First, turning water into wine, cleansing the temple, healing the nobleman's son, healing the lame man, feeding the multitude, healing the blind man, and finally raising Lazarus from the dead. Each one of these things stands on its own. Each sign stands on its own, allied with each other, uh, proving that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so we need to understand this and gain wisdom that what God is telling us, because so many people during that time failed to see it. We study here today, and we are astonished that much of the Jewish people did not come to faith with Jesus. We find it hard to understand. Well, let's face it. That's the same today. We're no different, really. And so let's consider what these signs have in common. First of them, each of these signs was performed in public, in front of witnesses. People could see them. The message could be delivered. Uh, they were not done in secret. They were made for public consumption. Uh, another is that all the signs are specifically allied. In other words, they all come together. They all show who Jesus is and the power of Jesus uh, as the Son of God. I want you to look at John chapter 20, uh, verse 30. Uh, and what this tells us is that John didn't write the gospel like a lot of preachers today and go down rabbit trails. Am I right? Sometimes you'll hear a message, you'll hear a guy preaching, and he'll start off good, and then all of a sudden he goes to the left, and then he goes to the right, and then he goes back to the left, and then he goes further left. And you're sitting there bewildered, and if somebody asked you at the end of the sermon, what did he preach on? My dad would say, you'd hear them say, well, he was good. <laughs> well, what did he say? Well, he said a lot of good things. But you couldn't remember the main message. And I hope when I preach to you and you leave here, you'll remember the main message. Jesus is God in every way. Look at John chapter 20, verse 30. John says he purposely selected a limited number of signs to tell his readers about it. He picked a limited number under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He writes, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in the book. What does that mean? There are many other things that Jesus did that were not written in the Gospel of John. Because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, you didn't need it to advance your spiritual life. They were done to advance those times. But these seven signs are critical. Uh, and then John reveals the purpose of the signs in John 20, verse 31. But these are written that ye may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That's it. That's the purpose of the entire Bible. It's all written for one purpose. Jesus is God. All right? That's the message. That's what you need to get through and understand it. There can be no mistake. Jesus is God. Now, John's signs have a similar purpose uh, to that of the signs in the Old Testament. Like the Old Testament signs, 
uh, the signs of the gospel are meant to authenticate the divine messianic mystery and message of Christ. All right? Our survey of Old Testament signs demonstrates this, and it found primarily and predominantly in the, in the time of Moses. Therefore, we should not be surprised, really, that Jesus also performed signs. He is the mediator of the new covenant, uh, and one greater than Moses, as Mo Moses himself predicted there would be. Like Moses and the prophets, Jesus was sent from God with a divine message. But there is a critical difference. Unlike Moses and the signs of Moses and the prophets, the signs that Jesus performed testify of the divine authenticity of his message and himself. Jesus is God. And that's what these signs point to. Uh, he proclaims that he is the very divine word of God. Look very clearly at John chapter 1, verse 1, as the gospel takes off. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God, and the word was God. You understand? That's who Jesus is. He was there at the beginning. He was there before time. He was there before the foundation of the universe. He was there with God along with the Holy Spirit, and he was the word, the very word of God. And so when Jesus performed these incredible seven signs, he declared something about himself that Moses could never declare uh, and could never claim, and that is, I am the Son of God. Only the pure and perfect Son of God could go to the cross and be the perfect sacrifice for us. Only God himself could do this. Um, now, the connections, you see, between Jesus and Moses extend beyond uh, their being mediators and prophets. Uh, they are parallels in the very signs that they performed. And I want you to see how God uses parallel statements to show who he is. For example, in Exodus, God used Moses to turn the water of the Nile into blood. Well, uh, in, in John, in the first sign, Jesus will turn wine, uh, will turn blood, excuse me, water, get straight, John, will turn water into wine. Uh, uh, in the uh, Old Testament, Moses feeds the people manna uh, for 40 years to keep them alive. Well, Jesus will feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes and will tell us that he is the bread of life. You understand? I am the bread of life. No other prophet could ever say that uh, clearly. And so the major difference you see uh, between Jesus and Moses was that Moses was merely an agent of God and Jesus was God himself. God walked with us. God died with us. God raised himself from the, from the grave and God now sits at the right hand of the Father. And so consider really as you can study these signs and as we delve into them over the next seven weeks, Think about several passages as Jesus links the reality of the, of the gospel of John and his signs to God. Look at John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. 
He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. Can you imagine Jesus demonstrating that everything, all the authority, all the power that he has to do these miraculous works comes directly from God himself. And that what he does effectively mirrors what the father does. It's a very powerful statement. Look also at John chapter 10, verse 37. And there he talks about the signs, what the purpose of the signs are. And look at what he says there. Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Look, this itinerant preacher, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, was called as the Son of God, and he's doing these miraculous works, and so many of the religious elite refuse to accept him. But Jesus says, don't worry about me. Look at the signs. The signs themselves are the veritable evidence of the hand of God. Nobody could do this but God himself. And that's the important part. And so what you see here is that Jesus is declaring openly, openly that he is fully equal with God. He openly declared he was the son of God and his signs corroborated this claim. That's the nature of this series, that I want you to understand this. I want you to be able to articulate this to people that don't understand it. The signs of Jesus prove that he is the Christ, the very Son of God. And so when Jesus performed the sign, he was making a case. He was making a case for who he was. Uh, and so John is making a similar case. He saw it firsthand, and he wrote it firsthand. And so the evidence resonates with us today. This Gospel of John and these seven signs are like a legal brief each one articulating itself, each one leaked to the next. And it's clear that God is giving you this so that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, John knew, John knew that there were other signs that Jesus did, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he emphasized only these seven. He sifted through the evidence of three years of ministry. You can imagine what it had to be like. And he presented this audience, this message to his audience, by gathering the very best and most powerful evidence of who Jesus was. And so John uses the seven signs as a building block of evidence. Each sign adds to the evidence of who Christ is. Each one builds on itself. They crescendo, as it were. They crescendo until the final sign when Jesus comes and raises Lazarus from the dead. Who else? Who else could take a body in tomb for four days and take him out of the grave? You know, there are theologians that say that Jesus said at that time, Lazarus, arise. And if he didn't put Lazarus' name in front of that statement but said, arise, that the entire cemetery would have come alive. Can you imagine what that would have been like? That's the power of the Son of God. That's the power of the name of Jesus Christ. 
And so here you have this closing argument about the power of Christ. And yet, most didn't believe. Most didn't believe. And in fact, when he raised Lazarus, there were people that went to the uh, ruling leaders and told them the story, and they said there, Caiaphas said, one man must die so that the nation could be saved. One man must die. But he didn't realize, he didn't realize the prophetic power of that statement that, yes, one man must die so that we can all live. That he was just talking about the Jews and Rome. What a powerful statement that was. And so it's as if John is saying to us today uh, in a very powerful way, if you do not have faith, after seeing these seven signs, particularly Lazarus being raised from the dead, then you will never believe. Because the, the failure isn't in the sign. The failure, failure is in your heart. It's in your heart. Uh, you have failed to clearly understand the proof that God has clearly given you. Now, sadly, many Jews that Jesus encountered during that earthly ministry failed to correctly read these signs. It's so sad. Uh, and John writes that after the raising of Lazarus, he said, though, but though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. Can you imagine how heartbroken Jesus had to be? That he'd come to this world, that he had become incarnated as a human being, that he walked and gave a ministry for, for three years, and that he would ultimately go on the cross, and yet the predominant number of Jews failed to recognize who he was, failed to recognize it. And John spoke about this as well in John 1, verse 11, where he said, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Well, it's just as risky today, you understand? It's just as risky today. The failure to grasp the meaning of the signs was not limited to the Jews of that day, but resonates down to us today. It's just as much a risk for people today who hear this message not to accept Jesus Christ. These seven signs become a lesson in reality when they are proclaimed under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And I believe this. I want you to hear this. As you're getting this message today inspired by the Holy Spirit, these seven signs resonate in eternity of who Jesus is. And when you give these signs and speak of these signs, there is power in that message. I want you to understand that. And so don't worry about the fact that you may not be called or that you're not an adequate speaker. When you speak about this, the Holy Spirit is there, and the Holy Spirit will affirm that message. And so if the signs do not lead to faith, the fault lies not in the sign, but in the heart of the hearer. And so I want you to understand that as God has called all of us to do this. These signs are not a destination. They're not a destination, but rather they point. They point to the greater truth about who Jesus is and what he has done. John wants us to see through the looking glass of these signs uh, so that we confess that Christ is the very Son of God. This is the ultimate purpose of the seven signs. Now, one of the most powerful 
actions of Scripture on the issue of the glory and divinity of Jesus can be found in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 9, which we'll have on the board. And I want you to understand that Hebrews was written for a Jewish audience. It was written by a Jew. We don't know specifically who. Many think it's Paul. We don't know. But it was written for the Jewish people to come to faith. And I want you to hear what he says here. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. I want you to see that. Through Jesus Christ, all things were made. Everything. Can you imagine that as Christ walked in this world, as he looked around, he knew he made it. He did it. He looked up in the sky. He saw the sun and the moon and the stars. He made it. He was the creative agent. The sun, verse 3, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at Jesus. He is the representation of the Father in every way. Uh, and, and there it says, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, the more we study science, and we see that the various molecules are held together by what they call an interstitial uh, power. You've read this, interstitial power and gravity. That keeps everything together. Well, I want you to know, I know what the interstitial power is. It's Jesus. You understand? It's Jesus. And the day will come where, where God will say to the Son, cut it. And the interstitial power will end and everything will come apart as God recreates what he starts with uh, under the authority of Jesus Christ. And so he understands something. After, after he had provided for the purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Can you imagine? After he died on the cross for you, he sat down next to, to, to God himself. In verse 4 it says, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today, I have become your father. Or again, uh, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when the God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him, and speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, and this is now in verse 8 of Hebrews. And this, by the way, quotes Psalm 45, verses 6 and 7, written a thousand years before Jesus would be born. And look what the prophet Isaiah says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God put in his heart. Look, your throne, O oh God, will last forever and ever. This is God now speaking of his son. Your throne, O oh God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be, the, will be a scepter of your kingdom. 
effectively you see it, God is saying to Jesus, you are God. And so if God the Father calls Jesus God himself, then I would say, case closed. Case closed. Uh, And so you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. And so as you read the scripture, as you see this, as you're going to see these signs, it's going to resonate in your heart that Christ is the Son of God. Look, the purpose, the purpose of this sermon series is to help you behold the glory of the one and only Son of God. For those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, uh, my goal is to help you come to a deeper, more profound, fundamental understanding of who God is uh, and understanding his glory with the ability to spread the message to others. We need to present these messages to a lost world. Look, I'm not just preaching to you today that you get inspired in church or you say, wow, that was a powerful message. Instead, I'm preaching to you that you leave here with the understanding, God, I know what you want me to do. I have to spread the message of Jesus Christ. I have to tell a lost world he is the son of God. That's what God wants you to do. You need to do this. You need to understand this. My hope is that the Holy Spirit will convince you of this. And that if you're here today and you have never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, do it today. Do it today. You don't have to take classes. You don't have to go to college, seminary. You don't need to do this. All you do is bow in your heart and say, Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I accept you. I will follow you the rest of your life. And I would say this. You can do it today and you can come forward with me after church and I'll pray with you and we'll talk about where you go from this. Look. Ladies and gentlemen, consider the evidence. Consider the evidence and weigh the evidence and come to the verdict that only one way can reveal Jesus Christ, the Son of God forever. Amen, church? Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you for the words that you've given us. I thank you for the gospel of John for the writings, dear Lord, that resonate 21 centuries down through time. Let's speak to our hearts, Father. I ask you that this message resonate in our hearts, that the Holy Spirit lifts us up and affirms us and and tells us exactly that you are God and that we are inspired today to go out and preach this word to a lost world. Lord, never again let us sit silently at a table when somebody says, well, Jesus was just a good man. No, 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 that's wrong. He was not a good man. He was the son of God. Let us remember that incorporated into our lives and make a commitment to deliver this lost message in every way to a world that needs it. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.